Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. I remain, uh, invite the congregation to remain standing for the scripture today, which comes from Jeremiah chapter 29. Verses 11 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit, O God, come and stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart this day and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to do a little housekeeping because Stacy and I both are trying to say it as clearly as we can. And what I heard her say was there was going to be one service next on July. We are going to have two services on July the 2nd, 9th, 16th, and 23rd. There will be a 9.30 service and 11 o'clock, so 9.30 and 11. But everybody will gather in the sanctuary and we will be combining both worship teams together. So... 9.30 worship and 11 o'clock worship. So hopefully that's clear as mud, right? <clears throat> but then again, I didn't know the ukulele thing was real either, so hey. <laughs> as you leave, there are our historic um, bands that you can put on your wrist to pray for the UM Army team. And they are pink this year. When you leave the middle column, there is a basket about this big around. You'll be invited to pick one up. You can either put it in your Bible or put it on your wrist. Many people get them and already put them on their wrist to pray for. And so I'll invite you. I'm going to leave it right here in the Bible as a reminder to you. Hard to miss a bright, hot pink reminder that you would pray for the team this week. We expect record heat, um, but that's okay. God is good. We have hats, lots of water, and know where the shade is. We can handle the heat. Thanks be to God for all the folks that are helping. You'll hear me say again at the end of worship, we are looking for some help for a few extra what's called relief drivers. And if you would like to know what that is, it's a one-day opportunity to serve by hopping on the church van and then driving a vehicle back from Athens to here on Saturday morning. Sign up and information is at the welcome desk. There are some passages that we take out of context, and this is one of those passages that I wouldn't say really is taken out of context as much as it isn't used in its fullest context. You see it appear often on graduation cards and its needlepoint and with graphics. And it's all true that God does know the plans he has for you, but we want to unpack 
and, and grow some depth to this passage so it's not just simply something we hear with our ears thinking this is just about us, but it is about us. I can remember early when I was learning and I was putting all the tools together this week and assembling everything. We'll have 17 different teams this week in UM Army. Rick Smith has identified 52 sites that we're going to try and touch in five days with 17 teams. It's going to be a great thing, a great witness. And I, I can remember early on about power tool learning and we had a couple of end tables and I had sort of the idea that these old end tables water had been um, accumulating from the condensation on cups that were left at the edge and it kind of discolored and there was a little ripple that kind of happened at the end of the table and they were in the garage they were meant to be either donated or someone to work on and and I said well can I can I try that can I try fixing that I saw the discoloration and sure and so dad said would you like some help and what does a teenager say oh I got this did you know that if you have an electric sander and you are trying to take off a thin, thin amount of lacquer off of a veneer top, it doesn't take much before you find what's below the veneer? I got into that rascal thinking, well, I better take this off. And it was... And I created this groove. I went straight through the veneer. The veneer is a real thin slice of wood, sometimes one fortieth of an inch thick, and it's laid across so that it, it mirrors the grain, but there's not a lot of depth to it, so you have to be extremely careful if you're working on refinishing a veneer, which I learned. And literally the only way to recover that was to ask for my father's help. And what we ended up doing for both of the tables that they would be matching is we had to actually take the veneer off completely <clears throat> and add a new piece of wood to the top. By that time, our handiwork had made it not such a pretty end table, and I don't know where those are today. <laughs> but I learned a lesson. I think of that because I think oftentimes when we read Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a lot like that veneer. It's not that we are interpreting it wrongly when we hear that God knows and God says, I have the plans for you. We tend to cling to that in times of struggle and difficulty or in times of hopeful aspiration, plans to prosper you and plans not to harm you. And we love that imagery because it's consistent that we want to lean into the God who does want to plan to prosper. Taken to an extreme, it's called the prosperity gospel, where it's only good stuff. But friends, this passage wasn't just written for you and me in the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd century. It's not just for us. What did it mean to the people for whom it was first preserved? Well, in order to understand it, you have to read it in its context. So you have to go and read what is before and read what is after to find the context. Jeremiah was a prophet who was actually speaking a word that was different than a prophet named Hananiah. Hananiah was telling the people, yeah, you've got real struggles and troubles, but it's only going to last for a couple of years and everything's going to be wonderful. And so in some ways, when I read this, I'm not trying to condemn any modern pastors at all, but, but I, I think of the messages sometimes proclaimed that, oh, it's going to be just a short time of difficulty, everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's just wonderfully waiting for you. 
And that's not what this text was about. This text is about Jeremiah saying to the people, to those who were in the process of being taken exile into Babylonia, hey, look, this is not going to be a short journey. This is going to be a difficulty. It's actually going to be 70 years. Imagine this, sort of a showdown of the prophets. It's sort of a iron chef match off of the prophets and you've got Hananiah saying, oh, it's going to be short, it's going to be easy, a couple years, and it's all going to be wonderful. And you've got Jeremiah saying, look, folks, this is not short. This is not going to be easy. And what Jeremiah says is, look, this is going to be 70 years. So if you read at the beginning, at the end of 28, the beginning of 29, <clears throat> what Jeremiah is saying is, look, folks, when you're taken into captivity, you need to plan to go ahead, plant Live life, build houses, pray for the peace where you are, because God knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. But it's not about a short version, it's about a long version, that amidst the struggle, the difficulty, the pain of being taken into exile, God is with his people. Now we move from a surface and veneer kind of understanding to understanding the depth that happens when God says, "You remember how we talked last week, my faith does not explain everything. My faith gets me through what I cannot explain. This is about a God who is faithful to you and a God who is always faithful, not just when things are going well, but when you are in the midst of the struggle, when you get the call about the diagnosis, when you're walking through the troubles, when you have the unfinished work, the unreconciled relationships, it's God is with you in the mess. That's the reason I love that we pull together verses 12 and 13 to verse 11. Verse 11 doesn't stand entirely alone. 12 and 13 say what? Then, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. It's just the exact opposite of a parent and a child. We had time yesterday to uh, catch up at the beach with um, our daughter's side of the uh, daughter and her uh, grandson, David James. I've got pictures if you'd like to see them afterwards. He's, you know, the cutest thing. And now we've, you know, we've got another grandson. And so we're, we're kind of celebrating all the joys that happens with that. And, and, and at one point, we're at the beach and, and we've got everything set up and the little guy loves to sprint towards the incoming tide at Crystal Beach. And, and he doesn't even look back, right? He's got his little pail or his little shovel or his little boat. And it's just like, he's off. And you want to say something to him, and it's echoing what every parent wants to say to a child that's kind of doing something, that, that they're off and they're going, and you say something, or sometimes how Debbie Ward talks to her husband, Mark, I've heard this, right? Are you even listening to me? <laughs> you know, you're trying to read, are you, are you hearing me? Or as my mother sometimes used to say, do you understand and hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? There's two things that always stick with me that my mother said. Whenever I would leave the house, she said, remember, you cannot be replaced. And remember who you are. Then she also told me, I brought you into this world. Finish it for me. I can take you out. Right? <laughs> We don't have to wonder whether or not God hears us when we cry out. God does hear us. 
But it's not just a cry, it's a seeking. We call on God. Verse 13 reminds us that we seek God and find Him when we seek God with our whole heart. Now what's important about pulling these passages and concepts together is this. Verses 12 and 13 do not say that when we call to God with all of our heart and we seek God with all of our heart, that everything works out and gets better. It doesn't mean that. What it means is when you seek God and when you cry out to God with all of your heart, he will listen to you. Friends, I've got some, hopefully some powerful good news for you, and that is this. If you are frustrated or if you are hurting, it is perfectly fine to say to God in the context of prayer, I don't get it. God, I need help with this. God, I don't understand this. You can literally express everything that you feel in your emotions to God. The only line that you cannot cross theologically is to curse God. But you can ask God questions. You can ask God for help. You can cry out to God. In some ways, I would suggest that when we do that, we find that there is a God who hears us. And when we do that within community, we are better able to hear where God is leading, where God is comforting. Because sometimes the things I'm praying to God about and and I'm asking God for, there is no immediate solution. I've struggled all week with whether or not to, to be fully transparent with you about something. Because I know that every one of us has struggles. And I know this hasn't been an easy year in the life of our church together. And I want you to know it hasn't been an easy year for me either. This verse is one of the verses that got me through the last 12 months. Because there's things that aren't fixed still. There's hurt that still exists. There's sadness I still feel in my heart. But I'm reminded that God is with us. And God will see us through even when all the other aspects of what don't seem to be fully understandable or able to be explained can be comprehended. This verse reminds me that. And it does not magically fix anything, but it beautifully expresses the promise of God to be with us in the midst of the struggle. And I want to bring another verse alongside this verse Because it's the core verse for what's happening this week at UMARMY. As Stacy mentioned, over 130 of us will um, depart this afternoon from the parking lot. At 1 o'clock, we'll be headed to Athens, and um, we'll be be out in the heat. And each evening, the reason I love what we do is that there is a curriculum, and we have historically also wrapped our hands around that curriculum and and put some more depth into it as well with regard to the scriptural understanding in the scriptural verse that's going to be the theme for our youth to unpack every day when they come home from the work sites is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I want to kind of read Romans 12, 1 and 2. As Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That verse, hold that verse up there, Kathy, verse 12 too. hold that. That's the verse that we're going to be talking 
with our youth about, but that's a verse that applies to every one of us, and here's why. What Paul is saying about your mind, the renewing of your mind, is that there's a pattern of the world that presses in, but Paul says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that word in the Greek means literally your thoughts, your feelings, your purpose, your desires. It wraps together the whole aspect of who you are. And what Paul is saying to us is, don't conform to the pressures of the exterior world around us just to fit in, just to get along, but be transformed. Transformed how? Transformed by using verse 1 and 2 to give our lives, soma in the Greek, a living sacrifice, our bodies, all that we are, Paul says, lay all that we are before God and let all of that be transformed in our thoughts, our feelings, our purposes, our desires in this world. It's important that we understand God isn't finished with any of us yet. We have this ongoing process of transformation. Historically, in our Wesleyan Methodist witness, the way we talk about this is going on to perfection. So in the classic Methodist way of thinking in Wesleyan theology, we talk about the kind of grace of God that is totally independent of what we're aware of. It's all the same grace, but we talk about a prevenient grace, a kind of grace that pre, what precedes, venio in the Latin, which means what goes ahead. In other words, the grace that's always around you that you're not even aware of. That's God's grace. In a way, in a measure, again, it's all the same grace, but there's this aspect of grace that God's moving in even when when we are not aware. There is a justifying grace symbolized by the cross, the death of Christ, taking away the sins of the world. And then there is what we call the sanctifying grace, saying that what Christ has done on our behalf on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, God seeks to do through us in the power of the Holy Spirit as we are set apart. That's what sanctified means, set apart. And God does through us, through the Holy Spirit, what God did for us on the cross. We are called to be a people who are in process of being finished in our work by God, but not a one of us is finished yet. We are all in the process of transformation. I needed people in my life to understand that. And I give thanks to God for those men in my life, my own father, who would have been 91 this year, I think of the men that were in the church where I grew up. I think of coaches along life's journey, people who nurtured me, who poured into me, who were not my biological fathers, but were a fathering presence to me. And I give thanks to God for all of those men who poured in. And what I would challenge each of us as men today is uh, we had... I know that life can be difficult with the number of uh, responsibilities we have, but we need the men in the church to continue pouring into your families and into church. Here is an alarming statistic. When men go with their families, when fathers go with their families to church, 93% of the time it brings the whole family to regular attendance. 93% of the time. We have the greatest amount of influence as men of faith. And so I would ask that we think about, and and I would say a word of thanks to the fathers who this day are in this place. And for the ways that God is using you, forming you, shaping you, and pouring into you, 
helping you to be a spiritual leader within your home, to come alongside all that God's doing in your family. And where there's brokenness in those relationships, we pray for God's healing. Where there's hurt because it's seasons where that father's beyond the physical embrace for whatever reason, we pray for comfort. And all these things we hold together because we know that when we cry out to God, we know that God has a plan. Now I want to close by saying, what is that plan? That's one place that we get hung up in this passage. We, we kind of want that plan. God, can you just reveal to me clearly what that plan is? Can you uh, email it to me? Can you uh, give me an, an app for it so I can understand and distinguish clearly what decision I need to make at one particular time so that I know I'm following within your plan? I, I haven't found that to exist. I've sought it. I've looked for it. I've searched for it. I can't find it. So I don't have the specific plan for a blueprint per se, but within the faith, you have all that we need to be assured of God's presence in that plan. A God who created us and created us for good. A God who continually reaches through us throughout the whole witness of the scriptures, through the prophets who led his people out of Israel, people like Jeremiah who stand above the hand of Ananias who say, oh, get oh, it's not going to be much, don't worry about it, but say, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be difficult, but God is going to be with you. It's going to be a season of years, and God will be with you. To the person of Christ, with God, as we say to the kids, Jesus is God with skin on, the God who's with us in the midst of the struggle. And why do we do all that? Well, at 11 o'clock, if you want to come back for a little bit, you're going to hear songs from VBS that will stick in your head for a year. Their theme was heroes. And even in these young boys' and girls' minds, we were teaching them about a God of faithfulness. That's the plan. The plan is God is faithful. And then in community, we remind each other of God's faithfulness, cry out to God together, seek God together. Even when the things don't come together magically to fix themselves and life still has struggles and challenges, God is still with us. Friends, there's no greater good news than this, that God so loved the world, so loved you, that he came to you in the person of Christ to redeem, set you apart, to love you to life eternal. That's the plan God has, a plan to love you no matter what happens. Our side is to choose to respond to that love by not reflecting the pressures and values of the world around us, but walking in a way that leads to life, right out of the baptismal liturgy. When we present children for baptism, you as a congregation stand together. You make a common vow. You'll walk alongside. You'll help them know the scriptures and lead them in a way that leads to life. That's the good news of the gospel, that God is with us. Let's pray together. God, so often when we read passages, 
we confess that we do read them with our need, and our need is to know that you are with us, that this is not just some sort of random set of circumstances that we have to endure, but you are a God of redemption and a God of purpose. So I pause in this moment to ask for your blessing of insight upon all those who are walking through seasons of struggles where there seem to be no answers. Strengthen relationships where they need to be repaired. Grant insights about what you are wanting to do within um, the decision that lays ahead of each family that's here today. And God, we give you thanks that you are with us, that when we cry out to you and when we seek you, you hear us and you are with us. So God, help us to grow deeper in our faith in you so that we can respond more intentionally, more consistently, and more fully to the love of Christ. In whose name we gather and pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.